We're very honored to have a very fine Supreme Court Justice with us, Frank Caruso, previously Tonawanda Town Justice, and he's really a good role model and probably the best MC in Western New York. He oh, keeps that's people very laughing <laughs> when you have an event. I'd like to tell you a little bit about this uh, very distinguished Supreme Court Justice, Frank Caruso. Born and raised in the city of Tonawanda, Frank is the son of Mario Caruso, a native of Amantea, Calabria, Italy, and Alice Caruso, first-generation Armenian from Galt, Ontario, Canada. He grew up with his younger brother, Mario David Caruso, as well as many cousins, aunts, and uncles. Frank is a graduate of Tonawanda High School, Buffalo State College, University of Dayton Law School, admitted to practice in 1983 and began as an attorney with the law firm of Laban and Buffamonte. And, you know, when I've been to Capri, I stopped in Sorrento, and the most wonderful restaurant there is Caruso's. Is that right? And they oh. have the singing by Caruso. Oh, my gosh. And the food is out of this world. Well, if you heard me sing, you know there's no way I'm related to the opera singer, but uh, go ahead. Now, let's talk about your Italian and Armenian roots, and I know yes. that Dr. Karmanukian is very fond of you because oh, he's Armenian. You. Yes, So talk, tell us about your uh, roots, uh, very different Arme from Armenia and Italy. Well, it was a great upbringing. And by the way, you speak, pronounce the Italian words beautifully. I, she's better than some Italians that I know. Um, yes, well, my parents, okay. uh, my parents, even though they came from different backgrounds, they actually met at a dance in Galt, Ontario, and, um, and eventually got married and um, moved here to the States where my dad's relatives uh, had all settled. But um, yeah, there, were, there are differences, the Armenians being almost a Middle Eastern uh, type of cuisine and um, but they're Christian, the first country to adopt Christianity uh, outside of Jerusalem, and that was about 1,300 years ago. And, of course, the Italians being Latin-based. But um, even though the foods somewhat were different, I found the customs to be almost identical when it came to socializing and uh, the serving of food, uh, um, even the way things were uh, were done, like uh, uh, fruits and cheeses for dessert, uh, little things like that. But just uh, it was su always surprising to me how similar um, the cultures were when it came to traditions, um, you know, than than more of any differences. So, and what about moral concerns and and faith uh, uh, coming from Armenian and Italian roots? How did that affect your life? Both very, very strong in faith, Christian faith. Uh, of course, my father being Catholic, my mother did convert. Uh, she was uh, uh, Orthodox Armenian and Anglican, um, and uh, but the Anglican Church is very close uh, uh, to the Catholics, so my mom converted back in the 1950s. But, um, but very, very strong, uh, both very, very strong in... in uh, uh, in their Christian faith, plus in uh, doing um, the best for people and finding the best in yourself, uh, always trying to do the right thing, um, caring lot, both nationalities as well as the the faith that they have, uh, dealt a lot with with caring for people and helping people and trying to be a good person in life. Um, as my grandparents and my father and my mother used to say, you come in this world with one thing and you leave with only one thing, and that's your name and you want people to be able to speak kindly of you uh, when all is said and done. Now, 
Frank uh, Caruso was in 1995 elected town justice of the Tonawanda um, Township and reelected in 99 and 2003 with endorsements of every political party. Now that's yes. pretty good. Well, thank you. Uh, thank you. I Willie. Mean, <laughs> you must be a man for all seasons well, and reasons we, to be endorsed by all political parties. Well, thank you. Well, I, I was a legislator. To, I never yeah. got the oh, Democratic <laughs> endorsement. Never. never. Oh my gosh. Well. We tried treating people equally and uh, treating people with dignity and civility, and I think uh, both sides of the aisle uh, recognize that. And, and it's a little easier to for both sides of the aisle to endorse judges if they if they don't act political. Number one on the bench, and um, and, and do a good job, quite frankly. And I was very proud of the job that I uh, that I did as town justice and working with Judge John Gruber, who also was cross endorsed every year. That's amazing. Well respected man. Yeah. Very good. Well, let's talk about the highlights of being a uh, Tonawanda justice elected in ninety five, ninety nine, and two thousand three. What yes. was special to you of that period? Well, I think first of all, it's a court of what we call first impression. That's the court that most people see and have the first impression with. And uh, I really felt like I was doing something for the community um, because not only did I hear the cases that would come up in front of me, which would be misdemeanor cases, the initial stages of felonies, animal law violations, uh, small claims court, things like that, but I also was proactive in um, speaking at the uh, Citizens Police Academy Mm -hmm. about the law. I also went to schools. uh, They would add a day to the uh, dare program where I would come to speak uh, to the students about staying away, you know, from uh, from drugs and to uh, be good people as they grew up and try to be successful, not just financially but as a person. Uh, and I was also involved in a number of community organizations where we did a lot of charity work. And for eight years, I chaired uh, a Thanksgiving dinner for the needy and elderly through our Sertoma Club. It's now been taken over by the Kiwanis. Our club folded over the uh, many years ago, uh, and I'm a member of Kiwanis as well. And uh, so we feed about 500 to 800 people uh, on Thanksgiving and uh, also send uh, uh, takeout meals to shut-ins and also Meals on Wheels people because Meals on Wheels doesn't work on Thanksgiving. So the Meals on Wheels people volunteer to take these foods to uh, to the shut-ins. Yeah, so... Um, so those are the things I remember the most was being involved in the community and feeling like I, I made a uh, uh, lasting impression. Now, um, in addition to this, in 2006, you were uh, appointed to Supreme Court, but before that you were appointed as an acting Buffalo City Court yes. judge. Now, that would be a different constituency yes. from the town of Tonawanda. Yes. Uh, how is it different? Because you're talking about different ethnic groups, different racial groups, uh, different income levels. Yes. How was it different, Tonawanda justice and city of Buffalo justice? Well, uh, some more serious crime uh well, we always had serious crime in the town of Tonawanda, too, and different income levels in the town of Tonawanda. But the disparity was much greater with the city of Buffalo. And the level of violent crime at that time, I think it's getting better now, but at that time uh, was much higher uh, with the uh, the city of Buffalo. And the volume was much higher. I mean, we uh, the town of Tonawanda court was, this, I believe at that time, we were the seventh busiest uh, town court in the, in the state. Really? Yes. Hmm. Yes. And... Um, 
we were third as far as vehicle and I think third or fourth as far as vehicle and traffic matters. But um, City of Buffalo was a whole different ball game altogether. Even though the laws were the same, uh, our procedures basically were, were very similar. But um, again, the volume and the style in which they got things done w- was different as well. So um, they had, you know, like regular sunrise court on Saturdays where the judges would rotate going in. W- uh, Judge Gruber and I, we would be on call, you know, for which usually I was in every weekend arraigning prisoners in the town of Tonawanda. Um, so, it, like I said, the procedures were a bit different, but the, the level and volume of the crime was much higher with the city of Buffalo at that time than Tonawanda. What type of crimes were different from the town of Tonawanda, more of a suburban locale than the city of Buffalo okay. with uh, a lot of more poverty? Yes. So what what type of crimes did you prosec- did you uh, rule on in the town of Tonawanda court versus city of Buffalo? Well, town of Tonawanda court, we dealt a lot with assaults, um, uh, uh, burglaries, rob- some robberies. Um, twice we dealt with murders. Uh, I dealt with murders, but it was people that knew each other, though. It wasn't like random uh, type of thing. Um, we dealt a lot with drugs, a lot of drug mm-hmm. uh, charges in Tonawanda. You also had that in the city of Buffalo. The level of violent crime, though, in dealing with robberies, um, uh, attempted murders, uh, the uh, felony assaults. And we had felony assaults in, in Tonawanda, too, but um, there was a higher percentage in the city of Buffalo that I could see uh, dealing with weapons and mm-hmm. guns and things like that. Um, much higher level of drug uh, charges, um, but you know there was some serious drug problems within certain pockets of the town of Tonawanda too. Mm-hmm. So and domestic violence, uh, a lot more domestic violence with the city of Buffalo. But we had our share in the town of Tonawanda as well. Yeah. Now, did you deal a lot with drugs too? Yes. Now yes. I understand that they do have drug courts. I don't yes. know if you had one when you were a Tonawanda justice. We did not. Uh, the city of Buffalo. Yes. How has it changed with dealing with now what we have as a wild opioid crisis? Yes. Well, I'm so glad that uh, the city of Buffalo Court and Judge Amadeo uh, started the opioid court. because, mm-hmm. uh, And uh, the judge that currently is uh, presiding in the opioid court was a former uh, a drug addict himself in dealing with opioids. So he can relate one-on-one. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, and it, that court has been highly successful because the— the the goal is to get people off of these opioids, and because these are normally decent, good, decent people, that unfortunately fall under the uh, influence, uh, sometimes not of their own uh, doing. Uh, in a sense, they don't purposely have this happen, but it it just happens when you're dealing with the pain. We've had law enforcement officials become addicted. Uh, currently, uh, you know the former uh, police chief in Kenmore, but they are working on on getting him back to a normal life and hopefully not to have a criminal record when all is said and done because he didn't do anything otherwise in his life that, you know, would Well, my understanding is he had a terrible, I think, back injury. Yes. And tremendous pain. Yes. And I can understand that. I mean, he didn't cause any harm to anyone else. No, no. Uh, I I mean, that's a terrible thing to have uh, excruciating a chronic back pain. Yes. Um, so I'm sorry, but hopefully yeah. he will not 
be incarcerated. Well, we hope and, not. Um, yeah. uh, let me ask you this. Mm-hmm. Do, you, do you believe in second chances, that a lot of people make mistakes, and um, they deserve a second chance in life? How do you feel about that as you know, a Supreme that's Court an justice? That's an excellent question, and yes, I do believe in second chances, depending on the person. And, you know, sometimes a good person does something wrong and is very um, remorseful about it, extremely remorseful. And there are times when you can tell that you'll probably never see this person in a courtroom again. Um, So there are situations after doing background checks, after having someone evaluate them and all that, that, yes, you can give them a second chance. And, And they do well, you know, generally, generally. Well, you get those that fall through the cracks, and, and what can you do? But unless you take that chance, you know, no one will ever get the opportunity to become whole again. You know, I, I work in the mental health field. I'm president of the Friendship Foundation, mm-hmm. and we help with the Restoration Society people who've had mental illness to train them to work. And basically, all we do is give people second, third, and fourth chances yes. to have full and happy lives. Our guest today is popular Supreme Court Justice Frank Caruso with the state of New York. If you're listening in Tonawanda, Montreal, or New York City, drop us a note. Please write to Brian Rusk, ESPN Radio, 500 Corporate Parkway, Suite 200, Buffalo, New York, 14226. This station has received letters as far away as Scandinavia and New Zealand. We'd like to hear from you with our 50,000 watts of clear channel power. And ESPN 1520 is streaming. You can listen live by going to our website, ESPN1520.com, and clicking on the radio.com or listen tab. Western New Yorkers love their traditions, and the Ampole Eagle has been writing about Polish-American traditions and events for over 50 years. News and features from a Polish-American perspective can be found in this weekly newspaper, as well as recipes and a calendar of events. Don't miss out on the next cultural presentation or polka dance by reading the Ampole Eagle. The Ampole Eagle is available in many Tops and Wegman stores. For home delivery, call 716-835-9454. That's 716-835-9454 to have the latest news from Poland and Polonia in your mailbox each week. A little bit more information about Judge Frank Caruso with the Supreme Court. In 87, he accepted a position with the law firm of Shaw & Shaw. In 87, Frank Caruso served as deputy city attorney and city prosecutor for the city of Tonawanda. In 88, he married Paula Tomasulo and settled into a home in Kenmore. Frank then opened his own law practice in 89 in Tonawanda. He was elected town justice of the town of Tonawanda and re-elected in 99-2003 with the endorsements of every political party. Our guest today, Frank Caruso, Supreme Court Justice. Let's talk about your daily schedule, a day in the life of a Supreme Court Justice, the cases you deal with. What's it all like being a Supreme Court Justice? Frank Caruso. Well, for me, it's like a dream come true. I I love every minute. But uh, yeah, each day I come in, um, I have a what we call a confidential law clerk. Some places call them principal court attorney, where uh, he does. Um, uh, well, he and I both do research together, but he'll put together, uh, uh, judging from my outlines and such, um, uh, 
proposed decisions, you know, on cases mm-hmm. and written decisions and things like that. I have a secretary. By the way, the confidential law clerk is Bob Richardson. And my secretary. Very fine man. I know him in the Thank community. You. He's a very hardworking man. Yes, and very intelligent, but a great guy, great, great guy. And my secretary, Michelle Metz, uh, Although she was Michelle DiCarlo until she got married, so I'm sticking with DiCarlo, you know. But <laughs> well, you're uh, you're but, uh, sort of partial to Italians uh, and Armenians. Yes, a little bit, okay. a little bit. Right. But but she was my uh, court clerk for 12 years in uh, the town of Tonawanda, and then she was kind enough to come with me to be my secretary. And then we do have a court clerk within the state system, Corinne Clary, who is wonderful, and I'm uh, blessed to have her as well. So we get together and go through the schedule for the day, whether it be motions I'm hearing or if there's a jury trial scheduled or a non-jury trial. Um, the cases I deal with are mostly civil cases that are over $50,000. Um, a lot of them, though, are the complex civil litigation cases, um, the personal injury cases that you see advertised on TV, medical malpractice, um, uh, nursing home uh, vi- violation cases, uh, the injuries that come from that, anything, auto accidents. Um, uh, we also deal with business disputes. Um, we also deal with areas of the mental health law, Article 81s, which is if someone can't take care of themselves, you name a guardian, usually someone will step forward mm-hmm. to volunteer for that. Um, so things like that, and it's uh, it's never boring. It's never boring. Uh, each day is different. We're going to talk about the greatest challenges in a moment. If you just tuned in, we're speaking with New York State Supreme Court Justice Frank Caruso. He presides in Niagara Falls, New York. If you're listening from Niagara Falls or Toronto or Washington, D.C., drop us a note. Please write to Brian Rusk, ESPN Radio, 500 Corporate Parkway, Suite 200, Buffalo, New York, 14226. A little bit of information about Judge Frank Caruso in 2001. In addition to his duties as town justice, Frank Caruso was appointed as an acting Buffalo City Court judge. In December of 2006, Frank Caruso was appointed by the governor of New York State to a seat on the New York State Supreme Court. Frank filled a vacancy left by Judge Eugene Piggott's appointment to New York State Court of Appeals. Frank Caruso was then elected in 2007 to serve a full term with endorsement of every political party. Now let's talk about the greatest challenges you've had as a Supreme Court justice. What does that entail, Frank Caruso? I think the greatest challenges, we, we deal a lot with uh, matrimonials, divorce cases, which involve custody matters. And um, when you're having to deal with the future of a, a new dynamic for a family and looking out for the kids, and trying to make sure that their their lives will um, be whole in a sense and not be too negatively impacted by the divorce. But it depends on the parties, too. Also, a great challenge I had was for three years, I was the integrated domestic violence court judge where people would be going through divorces and then have domestic violence as a part of it, criminal charges pending. So all those cases would come in front of me at once. And that was uh, that was a great challenge as well. Did you take it home with you when you had uh, uh, violence and fighting and families? Did you have sleepless nights over it? Oh, there were so, yes, there were some sleepless nights because you just you felt bad, especially for the children. Mm-hmm. Um, but then there were some um, uh, spouses that were abused that you wanted to make sure that that didn't happen again, um, and to protect them. 
Uh, so it was. There were some sleepless nights, and I, all I know is that every time I came home, I just thank God for the family I had, and that, you know, we were doing well. So, um, yeah. So it could be difficult, but yeah, there were some sleepless nights. Let's talk about your half Italian. Mm-hmm. So I want you to put your Italian hat on okay. right now. Okay, with a name like Caruso, how could you not be Italian? <laughs> uh, there's been an effort. Uh, nationally to take away uh, statues and uh, curriculum in the schools about Christopher Columbus, who I, I'm a Polish-American, but I always saw him as a, as a great man of courage and vision yes. to find uh, the new world, uh, to begin our civilization here, uh, a, a man of Italian descent who made it possible for millions of Americans to have free and great lives. And to me, it's ridiculous to try to void this in history because some people interpret history with a very narrow uh, framework. How do you look upon Christopher Columbus? Shouldn't we honor this great man? I, I think we should. And um, let me explain why. And I know there's some people out there who say, oh, he did this, he did that. It was, first of all, 500 years ago. No one knows exactly what happened. And the people that are against um, honoring Columbus always rely on the writings of a Spanish priest named, I think it's Bellicosa was the name. And uh, forgive me if I have that wrong, but but he was a slaveholder himself as a priest. Mm-hmm. It was also well documented then in a number of writings that he was insanely jealous of Columbus and the attention that Columbus got. And his writings back then, 500 years ago, were discredited by most of Europe. I'm glad you're mentioning this because people believe a lot of nonsense. Oh, yes. And, you know, uh, am I saying what what they did was perfect? No. Am I saying, you know, that uh, people say, well, he really didn't discover the United States. Well, but it's the new world. And he opened up um, the lines of communication between the old and the new world. And uh, people say, well, he didn't discover anything. It was there. Well, he discovered it for the old world because it was almost like man going to the moon now. Oh, absolutely. And uh, so people didn't realize there was a whole other section of the world out there. And um, so then all of a sudden now we've got regular trade happening and uh, uh, over all those centuries and years. And it wasn't Shangri-La on this continent before Columbus got here either. There, no. there was uh, murders and killings and um, uh, a genocide from one tribe to another. And I'm not talking Native American tribes, but the tribes down in the Honduras and wherever else that he yeah. landed. So, um, you know, I think that people have to take a step back um, when evaluating that time of history. Because then where does it stop? Do we start to then um, look at our own history? Do we take down the Jefferson Memorial because— uh, uh, and discredit him because he was a slaveholder, and and even though that was wrong, it was wrong. But, but that was a way of yeah, life, and at the time it yes, was legal. Yes, yes. Um, also, I think we have to look at the tribal leaders who sold the slaves. Yes. Okay, so it's two yeah. parts of it. It was terrible to sell these people as slaves. It was. But then it was terrible to have them as slaves here, but there were many who contributed. We're, we don't say it's right in any way whatsoever. Oh, gosh, no one. And it's a horrible uh, devaluation of those people's will and spirit. But however, um, we had on this show about 30 years ago a man you may have met, the late Mariano Luca. Yes, 
And he was the man who made this a national holiday, Columbus Day. Yes. And he met with President Johnson mm -hmm. and all the leaders of Congress and made it a national holiday because of the man's courage and strength and vision. Yes. yes and he, he risked his life going on a little boat across the Atlantic yes. Ocean. Yes. No, I and, and that's true. You know, one time in North Tonawanda, they had docked uh, uh, an exact replica of, I think it was the Nina and the Pinta, and uh, or the Santa Maria, one of the one, one, two of the three, and I was amazed at how small yeah. the ship was, and to go across the ocean with that, with n none of today's navigational equipment, he just went by the stars, and to be able to land almost in the same spot each time he came over was absolutely amazing, you know, to me. And again, I'm not diminishing the horrors of what, what may have happened. Again, it's 500 years ago. Um, uh, don't diminish that at all. Just like with slavery, it's it's hard to believe that human beings could act that way. Terrible, you know, that but time. but he was you a know. great man of vision who risked his life uh, for our civilization, civilization for and for us to prosper as a yes. free and just country. I'd like to thank those who've called regarding our recent guest, Rich Kelman, who is anchorman at Channel 2 for many Wonderful years, man. Michael Cracker, who's with Unshackle New York, and Bonnie Gordon Flickinger, uh, arts uh, expert. Coming up with Paul Noble, who was an executive with Lifetime Television and who set up the television shows with President Kennedy, Eleanor Roosevelt, and many others, and Bishop Sheen in the 1950s and 60s, and he'll be on this program uh, next week. Uh, curriculum, isn't it important for young people to learn about the courage and vision of Christopher Columbus? Yes, and, and, you know, and I think it should be a balanced view as well. I mean, uh, with every person of history, if there's negative, certainly, you know, you want to discuss that too, so uh, students will know how to um, grow and conduct themselves in the future, and um, but yeah, I, I, you know, I don't think it should just be looking at the horrors, you know, and the negatives, or or as some people compare his thing to the Nazis. But the Nazis, we know, were there. It was recent history. There's films, there's recordings, there's photographs, there's people alive today that went through it. Same thing with the Armenian genocide, and there's still some people alive that went through that and you're able to find out firsthand. Um, we don't have anybody from 500 years ago to tell no. us exactly what happened. So, uh, and I'm not saying to sanitize the whole thing, but, um, but by the same token, to be fair. That's and all. he was a great man in my yeah. book. Our guest has been New York State Supreme Court Justice Frank Caruso, a very honest, decent, and good man, and a great a judge. Uh, special thanks to Kevin Carr, Director of Production for the past 15 years of the Rusk Report. And we wish all of our listeners on the East Coast of the United States and Canada a happy and healthy and prosperous New Year. Thanks Thank for enlightening you. us, Judge Frank Thank you. Caruso. Thank you.